Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. Well, good morning. I'm glad to be here once again. Today, we are finishing up our sermon series in Philippians. Um, We've walked verse by verse through this beloved book, um, this letter written by the Apostle Paul. And what's pretty interesting about the book is it's pretty small, right? It's a letter written by Paul. It's a pretty small letter, but some of the most amazing and popular Bible verses are actually found in this book. I mean, some of the deepest theological truths that theologians expound on are found in this book. Here's a couple... Here's a couple we're going to, okay, who, man, I thought from last week, it's going to have a conversation with Scott again. And by the way, I hope everybody knows I was playing about that. I completely forgot about last week. But look, Philippians 1.6 says this. We have Philippians 1, no, all right, all right, so here, I'll read it to you. We're going to move on. Philippians 1.6 says this. It says, being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Jesus Christ. All right, that's one of people's favorite Bible verses because it reminds us that God is not finished with us. If he started something in us, he's going to complete that work. We have Philippians 2, which is the great kenosis passage, the poem where we hear about the self-emptying of Christ. Christ becoming man, dying on a cross, but being fully divine and fully human. I mean, theologians write tons of books on that passage. We have Philippians 2, uh, excuse me, Philippians 2, 12 through 13. It says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and act according to fill his good purposes. That verse alone, C.S. Lewis writes all about and talks about that's how our salvation works. It's this sense of us doing this, but then God's the one who really does it. It's not us, but it's God, and it's this back and forth type of thing. We have Philippians 3, 13, so many people love. It says, forget what is behind and strain towards what is ahead. This reminds all of us that there's so much more to accomplish for the Lord. Then we have Philippians 4, 6 through 7. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and a petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says, don't use your energy to worry. Use your energy to pray. And probably the most popular Bible verse in, uh, in this letter, one that many of you have heard before and seemingly all athletes love, is Philippians 4.13. Right? You know this one, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I mean, athletes wouldn't have the ability to misuse this Bible verse if it wasn't for Paul writing this letter to Philippians. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. But here's what I want you to see. All of these Bible verses and all of these treasures that we cling to 
from a practical standpoint, we understand the divine, we understand the providence of God. I mean, but from a practical standpoint, the reason why theologians are able to write about these um, verses, the reasons why we're able to cherish cherish them and remember them and hold dear to them, and the reason why generation and after generation get to get to be impacted by by these Bible verses. Do you know just from a practical standpoint, the reason why all of that happened was because they gave Paul money. It was generosity. Generations after generations have been strengthened, encouraged, and come to faith in Jesus Christ through this Bible book because they funded Paul and funded his efforts. This letter, we see Paul Um, The reason why he writes them, he says this kind of thank you, we'll go over in a minute, but the whole thing that triggers this response from Paul to have these Bible verses is because they've been supporting him throughout his missionary journey, and he just received a gift from them. And so this whole thing, what what just blows my mind of this whole thing is because this this church decided, hey, we want to support Paul, let's give him some money, and 2,000 years later... We're reading this Bible book, this book that God inspired because of their generosity. You see, often when we give and we think about money, we don't think about the generational impact it's going to have. We kind of think about the here and now, but we don't realize what God can do and how God uses these gifts and multiplies them for his kingdom efforts. You see, here's why this is important to me. Just to give you a heads up, today we are talking about money. And if it's your first time here, first time at church, you're like, see, that's all they do is want my money. Listen, I don't want your money. I don't want your money at all. What you choose to do with your money is what you choose to do. But we've walked verse by verse, and that's what the topic of today is, is money. And so for me, it always bothered me when people talked about money simply because I was greedy and I had the wrong attitude. You see, it was hard for me to start giving as an adult. I didn't learn it when I was young. And I had all sorts of reasons lined out of why I didn't need to be faithful to God in this area of my life. We all have those areas, don't we? Where we're like, God, this part's off limits, and I have a ton of great reasons why the Bible doesn't apply to me. Right? And so I had them. But the truth is, the truth is, I was just justifying my sin. The truth is I was just being rebellious against God with my finances. And maybe that's your story. Maybe you have to think through this. But today we're going to learn the secret of giving and receiving. We're going to learn what Paul thought about money, how Paul understood it, what the purpose of giving is. All of that stuff is wrapped up in these verses we're going to look at this morning. And I hope. I hope you can see that being generous towards God and given to God's mission has a generational and a multiplying effect. Basically, you are investing in his purposes and the returns from that investment far outweigh anything else you can give your money to because God intervenes and God uses it for his purposes. You see, giving is simply an investment in the things of God. You're just investing in what he's asked you to, investing in his mission in this world. And so this morning, again, we have this unique opportunity to understand the Apostle Paul's mindset about money. Because Paul writes them to thank them, but he never actually says, thank you. 
He's playing this dance with them because they've been very generous, but because of how he views money, he's not looking at it as they're giving it to him. Who are they giving it to? God, does he need to thank someone on God's behalf? It's not his purpose to thank somebody on what they're doing with God. So it's this weird dance he's playing, saying thank you, but not saying thank you, saying I am glad you've supported me, but you're really not supporting me because it's really about the gospel. He takes this opportunity to when they give to point them back to the gospel and remind them the reason why you're doing this is because of the gospel, because of what Jesus did and what Jesus is continuing to do in this world. That's why you give. That's what's important. And as Paul writes about that, it's just it's kind of interesting that he has this view and he has no idea that just a couple years later, 100 years later, people would take this book and realize it's the inspired word of God, put it in the collection of writings. He had no idea that that was going to happen. And yet God uses that because of their gifts. So today, just lean in, learn the secret of giving and receiving, and why he doesn't mention money to about halfway through this section. This whole section's around their gift. Here's what he says, Philippians 4.10. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. So how did they show Paul? How did they renew their concern? By investing in his ministry. Jesus tells us this, Matthew 6, 21. He says, for your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus talked about money all the time. I mean, all the time. It was a common theme. And what we learn from the New Testament writers is money isn't this like neutral thing. Money has a lure on us. It can cause us to be greedy. We can be tempted to like take some that's not ours. I mean, money has all sorts of, of temptation and sin around it. So there is so many warnings in the Bible that money can control you, that money has a way of controlling people. So rather than being controlled by money, you need to understand that and you need to practice controlling your money. And Jesus said, here's the test. How do you know if your money has a hold of you? How do you know if you're doing what you're supposed to with your money? He said, where you give your money is where you, what you really value. And he's just saying what financial planners will tell you today. We can all figure out what's important to us of where we write checks. Isn't that true? Where you spend your money is what's important to you. It's just we have a habit of doing that. But notice, Paul doesn't rejoice in the Philippians. He rejoiced in the Lord. He said, I greatly rejoice in the Lord because he believes that all good gifts that he receives is actually from the Lord. So he is celebrating what God has done through their gift. But they showed concern for him by financially supporting him spreading the gospel. And now he dives into this secret of giving and receiving, Philippians 4, 11 through 13. He says, I am not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be, what's that word? Content. How many of us are content? Don't raise your hands. This isn't easy, is it? He tells us it's not. He said, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, 
I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You see, the secret to giving and receiving is learning to be content in any and all situations. And while we can apply this verse to a plethora of things, the context here is Paul is talking about finances, how to live on a little, how to live on a lot. Because just like you, Paul understood, sometimes I feel like I got a lot of money and I'm doing good, and then gas triples in a night and I find out I don't have as much money. Right? Like the economy goes up, it's just part of life. But he can be content and be faithful to God rather than chasing the next thing. And so Paul teaches us three things I want to highlight about contentment. First, he, we learn that contentment is unconnected to our circumstances. Paul lets them know that I'm content whether prices rise or whether prices fall, whether the stocks are up or whether the stocks are done, whether I ha- down. He says, whether I have the new vehicle or the new house or the old vehicle, their old house. He says, I know those things, those things won't satisfy. They won't build contentment. That doesn't work. So no matter how much I have or no matter what what I'm driving, no matter what gas does, I can still be content because my contentment isn't rooted in my situation. My contentment isn't rooted in my my things. Right? How many of us had to learn the hard way that buying new things doesn't fix that? Oh, just me and Eric? Okay, we'll talk about it more then. The next one won't work either. I'm just letting you know. For me, it's the next one. The next one, it'll finally fix it. And it gets old, and there's a new one, right? Right, so contentment isn't based, is unconnected to our circumstances. Next up, we see that contentment is learned. This is very important, everyone. He says, I have learned. Contentment isn't natural. Paul had to learn it by experiencing poverty. If you grew up poor, you know what that's like. If you grew up poor and then you run into money, you understand you don't know what to do with that money, and you could just blow it, Right? If you grew up with a lot of money and then you end up finding yourself in a poorer situation, you don't know how to survive because all you've had was plenty. Paul went through both and he says, listen, I've realized that either way, whether I have a lot or I have a little, whether you have a lot or whether you have a little, you can be content. But he had to learn this. Contentment wasn't about his finances. Contentment was about Jesus Christ. And we know enough about Paul's history to know he really did go through a lot. He really didn't know what it was like to be poor and not have anything. And we learn contentment is connected to our relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, this is the context of the most misused Bible verse, Philippians 4.13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength, or I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, Paul is saying, I can be content. I can be satisfied without those things or those extras or the whatever. I can be satisfied because Christ strengthens me. He says, I don't do this on my own. I'm not just some person who's just oblivious to food or not worried about nice clothes. I'm not oblivious to this stuff. I mean, I like things too. He's just saying, but my relationship with Christ satisfies me. My relationship with Jesus fills me. And so the record, for the record, let's just get this straight. Can we do all things through Christ? Nope, sure can't. I can't dunk. I've tried. I've tried for many years. I'm only 6'2", so I can't dunk. If I was a little, why are you laughing? Stop laughing. I'm 6'2", it's just an illusion on the stage. But because of my lack of height, I cannot dunk. So I can't do all things through Christ. 
Right, we have to understand that. This isn't a, I can be a superhero. In the context, he's saying, you can really. You can. You're like, Brian, I can't, I can't live without this. Yes, you can. Through Jesus Christ, contentment and this joy can be satisfying and long-lasting. Where We don't have to worry about that next or that newest. And this is how we are faithful to him. You see, the Bible is very clear on our expectation. For the Christian, if you're not a Christian, uh, that this isn't for you. But if you're a Christian, the Bible is very clear about our expectations to give. And what we also understand is giving is one of these things that actually activates these blessings from God. I do not believe in the prosperity gospel. I don't believe you're going to be a millionaire or healthy because you give. But what we do learn is through giving, God gets activated and God, well, Look at what he says in this, Malachi 3.10. I can let him talk. He says this, bring the whole tide, that's 10%, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. What's this next part say? God's like, come on, test me. We can't make this stuff up. This is what he says. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room enough to store it. So we know God says, test me, come on. You give, you be faithful, watch what I do in return because of that. Luke 6, 38, Jesus says this. He says, give and it will be what? Given to you. Hoard and it will be hoarded from you. We could say it in the negative. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, the measure will be used to you. If you're generous, God's going to be generous. And what I wish we could go through all the different Bible verses to show you, but, but I hope you get it, that yes, Jesus talked about money plenty. The idea of, of, of giving and being generous, that's absolutely something Jesus was concerned about. But what Jesus teaches us here is that saying that you've probably heard, you, me, we, we cannot outgive God. No matter how much we try, no matter how much we think we're doing something impressive, we cannot outgive God. That doesn't mean he's going to make us a millionaire, though I wish it did. It does mean that God's going to be activated in your life with different and all sorts of blessings. We know they're just not material, but spiritual. God gets involved. So I just want to give you a practical example to help you think through this. And there could be all sorts of them, but just one that, that we found true in our marriage. So for instance, if you want your marriage to experience blessing, ensure you both are on track to give to God. You say, Brian, how does giving to God bring us together? Well, according to studies, what's one of the number one things couples fight about? Y'all must be married. (laughs) Yeah, money. People fight about money. But if both of them come together and agree that our priority with our finances, like we, we got to agree about this, if our priority together is to give to God first, then they're both understanding that God is involved in our finances, he's our number one priority, and we're going to step out on faith to make that happen. Rather than selfishness, greed, Right, because isn't that what we're fighting about? No one's ever fought about because someone bought them too many presents, have they? Right, no, we fight because we're selfish. It's we all are. It's okay. It's one of the things we got to fight against. But rather than selfishness ruling the home, our generosity towards God will rule the home. And when that becomes a priority, you learn to be content because you're both agreeing that, yeah, the reason why we can't buy that 
is because God's our priority. The reason why we can't go there is because God's a priority. The reason why we can't do some of the things that everybody else can, although we don't know their finances, but for us, we're not going to cut out on giving to God to go on that vacation. We, we want God active in this marriage. That vacation's not going to fix my marriage, but can dependence upon God fix my marriage? Guaranteed. Do you see these other things won't work? They, they won't fix. But both of you being dependent, going, yeah, we know we want that, but we can't get it because we are dependent upon God. So we won't get that boat. We won't get that house. We won't get that vehicle. Now, perhaps you can anti, that's great. But when we prioritize God together as a family, can stop a lot of other arguments. Me and Jess, we regularly talk about this. I'm not trying to, I didn't want to give you the example, but I'm not trying to be over spiritual, but it's a constant conversation. We're like, yeah, I know that vehicle's awesome, isn't it? Whew, I'd love a Suburban too. $100,000, guess what, folks? We can't afford that. Well, but you make pretty good. Yeah, but giving's a priority. And it's important. And I'm not super spiritual. Most of you give, and I know that, and that's great. But I'm just saying, when you were content in Christ, when your family makes Christ first, it saves a lot of arguments. Contentment is found when your priorities are in line with God. The secret is contentment, and it comes from a deepening in your relationship with him, your family's relationship with Jesus. You understand that he is enough, that your salvation is enough, that we are connected in him. And no matter the call, whether he tells us to move to Conway, Northern Virginia, Southwest Virginia, Florida, I was going to say California, but I don't know, I'd have to have some conversations with him first about California. I don't know about that. But wherever he says to go, when you're not focused on things, but on him, you say, he's going to provide because he always has and always will. And if you can't say that, you're missing out. There's something about learning that contentment. And the reason why you learn contentment is because when you're faithful over a period of time, you stop worrying. Why? Because you're like, oh, he's going to come through. Like, well, how do you know he's going to come through? Because he's been doing it all these years. Like, he's never missed a beat. Because I've seen it and I've experienced it, so I'm going to trust it going forward. He says this, Philippians 4.14. He says, yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with me, with the gospel, when I sent out from Macedonia, not one church, not one church shared with me in the matters of giving and receiving, except only you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. You see, the Philippians partnered with Paul in his ministry by financially supporting what he was doing. The church was given to the Lord. The Lord blessed him in that. And they found, and what we find out is through a lot of the missionary journeys that we read about, that we get encouraged about, and we see how Paul planted this church and he did this. It all happened, of course, because of Jesus, but on a practical level, it happened because of what? They funded it. This little church made it happen. They wrote the checks to back it up. They said, we got you. We're partnering with you. And what we learn is when we're partnering with people, it's writing a check to make it happen. They funded not only the gospel being spread, they funded this letter being record, uh, recorded. How amazing would that be for you to know? Like didn't, They didn't know. But what if you knew that you could give and billions of people would be affected by it? Wouldn't that be pretty cool when you write the check for that? 
We can't know that. They didn't know that, but they did it anyways. That's that multiplying effect of God. And that's what I want you to see is that when we give to God, he multiplies our gifts and does more with it than we could ever do on our own. Giving to the work of the Lord will have more benefit than you could have ever imagined or think of. This church had no idea what they were doing, but God used it in a mighty way. You see, everything that happens here around this church is because of the generous people like you who give to the church. We exist to make and mature disciples for Jesus Christ. That's what we want to do. And because of your investment to kingdom purposes, we're able to continue this mission. You support this. You are building stronger families with the gospel of Jesus Christ. People in you, you're pouring into my children. Thank you. And helping them build a solid foundation. You see, when we are a part of a church, we can do two things. We can be consumers or partners. We can either be the people who are consuming on other people's generosity, or we can be the ones partnering to make it happen. Just for all seriousness and practicality, let's just be honest. Did you know that things cost money? Like, did you, did you know that? Electricity, water, curriculum, air conditioning, Salaries for the staff. I mean, all of that happens because people are generous and financially support the ministry. And so you partner, we partner with the church by financially support it to make those ministries happen. You can either partner or you can consume off of other people's generosity. And so that means that when you give part of that every counseling session that you don't know about and never will, that happens because you give. Those men's ministries where I know for a fact men's lives are being radically transformed by the gospel, that's happening because you give. Families being discipled, kids knowing Jesus, baptisms, all of that happens because people like you are supporting it. We're partnering together to make that happen. All of that is because of your generosity of giving to whom? God, right? Don't give to me. Don't give to the church. We give to the Lord. And what I hope you understand is we see that God chooses to work through us. And it's an amazing responsibility. God invites us, me and you, to partner with him. So I want you to take part in this. I want you to be in. I want you to have some buy-in. Because if you give, your heart's going to be involved in it. Isn't that true? That's what Jesus said. When you give your heart more invested, you're a little more interested in what goes on when you give, aren't you? You're like, hold on, what's happening around there? I want to know. Like, I'm, I'm interested because I'm giving. And Paul says this. He says, don't misunderstand Philippians 4, 17. He says this. He said, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more, is that more be credited to your account. Paul says, look, it's not about the money. It's about what's happening because of the money. Paul says, I don't want something from you. I want something for you. We believe, I believe, Paul believed that there are rewards waiting for us in heaven because of our faithfulness. And Paul's saying, look, I want more to be credited to your account because of what? Because your gifts are multiplying. It's not just about the gift. It's that your gift enables other things to happen. And then that gets multiplied. As disciples of Jesus Christ, you and me, we are called to be producers for the kingdom. To invest in kingdom things, invest in the lives of other people. 
And so many, let's just be honest for a minute, so many, maybe you, have a very selfish view of Christianity. We think that salvation is just about us getting saved. But it's so much more. Salvation is about God. Salvation is about what God has done in the world and has invited us to participate in it. It's all about God's saving grace, nothing that we've done, but everything that he's done. And then he tells us because of what he's done that you and me, we should invest in the lives of other people. It's not just about me crossing the threshold of heaven, although I hope you are. It's about us then investing in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ, making and maturing disciples for him. And check this out. 2,000 years later, he said, he said, I desire that more is credit to your account, like the efforts and the fruit that's being produced because of their gifts. 2,000 years later, their investment's still going. What, what can you invest in that has that kind of return? Bitcoin? I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. Right? Nothing. Like their account is still going up, however that works. I imagine these are metaphors, right, imagery. But however that works, their account is going up because we are benefiting from God's word, their letter being in here. It's amazing to think about. We're here for the mission of Jesus Christ. Look at what Paul says, Philippians 4, 18 through 19, or 18. He says, I've received full payment, have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Ephrodites the gifts you've sent. See, there it is. Gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And so now he drops in the true purpose of giving. Giving is a means of worshiping God. He uses this Old Testament imagery and reminds us the true purpose of giving is one of the ways we worship God. It always has been and always will be. You see, worship literally means ascribing worth, ascribing value. So part of the way we are, uh, excuse me, one of the core motivations for giving is understanding the worthiness of God, understanding who he is. Because he is worthy, because he is God, we give him a small portion back of what he's given us. You see, for Christians, we believe that we are stewards. And what this means is we don't own anything. It's all his. That he was the creator and he never relinquished his authority. He never said, hey, you can own it. I'll be good. So because he owns everything, we believe we are called to simply manage his resources. He's the owner. We're not. That makes sense? Yeah. And so because he's the owner, he can tell us what to do with what he's given us. And we partner with him by giving back because he's asked us to. And so what we learn is because worship, um, giving is a way we worship, we can either worship God with our money or we can worship money. We can either worship God with our money or we can worship money. One pastor says, money is a great tool, but a horrible master. Hmm. So we give and I invite you to give because he is worthy. We give and then we find out so many blessings happen in this giving. It's we invite God into our financial situations. Some of you are worried about everything. Why? God's got it. Hadn't he got you this far? Did he stop being God one day that I wasn't aware of? Hey, he's still, he's still God. He's got it. Always has, always will. 
You invite him into your financial situations. You're then partnering with him on his mission. We learn contentment and uh, being satisfied in Jesus Christ. And it guards, we'll talk about this a different day, but giving guards against greed and selfishness. Did you know you can't be greedy if you're generous? Like, if you give, you can't be greedy. If you don't give, you can't be generous. It, it doesn't, you, these words mean things, right? And so a way to guard against greed is by giving. And so we give to worship. And so what I hope you're learning and I'm trying to teach and I hope I'm explaining the best of my abilities is one of the ways we experience blessings in this life is when we activate God in our finances. Because we can't outgive him. And it's not that he needs our money, it's that we need him. And if it wasn't for him saying, test me, like he's the one who throws down the challenge, I mean, what do you do with that? If I were you, I'd take him up on it. Test him in it. Here's what he says, Paul says next. He says, and my God, my God, isn't that also my God? He's your God too, I hope. My God will meet all of your needs, all of your greeds, all of your needs, right? My God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I mean, riches of his glory. Like, what kind of riches does he have? What, how powerful is his glory? I mean, these are words we can, we can kind of get a glimpse of, but we really don't understand. But it's like, he will meet all your needs because God has plenty, folks. It's all his anyways, Paul says. And so we give to then trust in God's provision. He will supply the strength and content, uh, contentment. He will meet all of the needs that he is calling us to, that he wants us to experience. Like I said, God doesn't need your money, but you need God involved in your money. And he will show up in ways you cannot imagine. And the scary thing is, the thing you're going to have to wrestle with is all of us are called, whether we like it or not, we're called to live by faith. And faith is doing that scary, unknown thing at first. You eventually get used to it and realize you couldn't imagine doing it any other way. But you have to step out on faith. This includes financial. Because you can't outgive him. And he invites you and he invites me to participate with him. And when you invest in kingdom purposes, the interest will accumulate to far exceed anything else you can give to. Ask the Philippians right now, 2,000 years later. Doesn't that blow your mind, though, seriously, 2,000 years later? Still getting credit. Count going up because of their generosity. So here's what I do. I want to invite you to participate in what God's doing in the world. If this is your local church, then it applies here. If you're just visiting this isn't your local church, hey, you, you figure that out on where you go to church. But here's the thing. I invite you to participate in the church you go to or you call home through giving. I invite you to worship God through your finances. I'm not going to do a special offering or anything. I just want to invite you to think through this. Because giving is an investment to eternal things. So how do we give? Here's a quick rundown, then we'll close it out. First, God asks, God asks us to tithe. Tithing is 10% of your income. The first 10% you give back to the Lord. But 10% is the minimum. It's like getting a D in school. It's passing, but is it? You're like, Brian, I've never heard someone say it before. I'm just letting you know 10% is like the minimum. Like 10% isn't, if you give 10%, that's not generosity, that's mandatory. 
I'm talking to church people now. Like when I got D's in school, I was ecstatic because I passed. That's all I was going for. If that's all you're going for, that's okay. 10%, that's what the tithe is. It's what God asks us to give. And so many of you already give here. You carry the financial weight. If you're not involved, some of you, you just need to start there. You need to work your way up to doing what God has asked you to do. Recommend, I recommend percentage type giving. Pick a percentage and start with that. Increase it every year until you get there. If you're like, hey, I can, I can only do 5%. Okay, start at 5%. But regular, regularly and systematically give and be faithful to the Lord. And for some of you, just real quick, the reason why you worry so much is because you haven't learned to trust God. This is a primary avenue for you to learn to trust. It's through your giving. And so we have the tithe. And then in addition to that, we see what's called offerings. And offering is anything above the tithe. And then in the New Testament, we see this like generosity challenge laid out where it's no longer about percentage. People are just going above and beyond being very generous with everybody. I mean, the early church was known and why it was so attractive is because it was generous in a time that nobody was generous. The church was generous. And so some of you are in the position to give more. You've never thought about it. You've never even considered that maybe I could give more to what God's doing in the world. I just invite you to think through that. What does it look like for you to be generous? And what I suspect, just to let you know, I suspect many of you are already here at this church. If you didn't know or you're just visiting or whatever your story may be, this is one of the most generous churches you will ever come across. Like, Brian, can you prove that? Yeah, when we had a consultant come through years ago, they did the per capita giving, and they were blown away and said, oh, my goodness. This is one of the highest generosity churches we've ever seen. So I got facts to prove it up. Isn't that pretty cool? First Baptist Church, we're not, we're not pretending to be generous. It is a generous church. And what that's done for me is this church challenges me, and I hope you. I mean, I kind of I want to be like that. I want to be generous. Do you know how to become generous? By giving. It doesn't just happen. You got to do something about that. And so I'm challenged. I hope you are to know that this church, that this isn't a plea. We're not doing things. We're just talking about what the Bible talks about. But you were surrounded by some of the most generous people you ever meet. It's amazing what God does in this church. And so wherever you are in this journey, I invite you to invite God into your finances to be satisfied and content. Learn what that looks like in your life so we're not always chasing after things, but we're resting in Jesus Christ. But I hope you've learned that today when you give, what that does, it's an investment into kingdom things, and then God gets involved and he multiplies it, and that's what we want to see happen for you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning with a great sense of awe and amazement of how you invite us to participate with you. Father, we invite you into our finances. We humbly acknowledge that you are the creator of this world and we are merely creatures, your subjects and managers. We ask that you help us manage all the resources you've given us. We pray and that what people do give is multiplied for your kingdom purposes so we can make and multiply disciples, so we can see life change and people coming and growing in their relationship with Jesus Christ. But I pray that those here who need to step out on faith, as we all do, 
I pray that they have the boldness to start taking steps towards trusting you financially. Lord, those of us who have done it and are doing it know the freedom that comes from trusting you there. I pray that others experience it as well. Father, we thank you so much for your generosity and love towards us. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.